Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to show number 293 from Engage for Success. And um, our topic for today's uh, show is about how, how we can go about creating a unique and frictionless employee experience within organizations. And to help us talk about that and to share with us some of his insights over a long career uh, in, in HR, um, I'm very pleased to be joined by Tim Ackerman. Uh, welcome to the show, Tim. Well, thank you, Joel. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. And Tim is currently uh, head of global talent acquisition and experience at Lidl. Uh, but as he will explain in a moment, he's, he's worked across a, a, a broad range of organizations in his career. Um, and, and believes very firmly in the importance of uh, creating this uh, unique and frictionless employee experience and the, and the benefits that can come from that. So we'll be exploring that in a little bit more detail in a moment. Um, so, yeah, good to have you on the show with us, Tim. And for our listeners um, who did dial in uh, and uh, try and listen on Monday, apologies, we had a few technical challenges, but uh, hopefully um, you'll agree that this will be worth waiting for. So but before we get into the um, detail of our topic. Perhaps you'd like to just give our listeners a, a little bit of an overview of your professional background, if you would, Tim. Okay. Um, well, I won't take too long for that because I think it's not um, the most interesting part of the conversation. But um, <laughs> So I, I spent all my career in HR, started as a generalist in the financial industry um, uh, at Deutsche Bank. So I also worked in London, um, moved um, then into graduate recruitment and training. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, well, focused uh, mostly all of my career on talent acquisition, um, so mm -hmm. employer branding, sourcing, recruiting, onboarding, um, and uh, did that also at Microsoft in Germany and, and built their talent acquisition function and also their diversity and inclusion function, which already goes a little bit into the direction of what I call experience, uh, mm -hmm. but we might explore that later. Mm -hmm. um, worked as an HR director at Porofsky, um Spent some time at a business school lecturing uh, about HR and then, then, well, again, moved back into talent acquisition and in various industries, I have to say, and, and global functions all over um, the world or even globally. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, so I mainly focused on talent acquisition, but I also always explored the other functions within HR and, and certainly the business functions. Um, right. So, because there are so much. Well, I think for me, talent acquisition is the most important uh, function within HR or even the corporation, uh, quite selfishly. But uh, if you think about it, um, every, every mistake you make in the first step when you find a new employee and you might have to hire the wrong one, uh, it has huge impact over the, their employee life cycle and for the, all of the corporation. Because if I would do talent acquisition perfectly, all my colleagues in HR won't have a job because uh, we won't need learning and development. Um, we won't need complex conversation models because everyone would come to uh, work and then just be happy and tell us what to do instead of being told what to do. Of but, course. Uh, well, we get into that. I guess two figures off with Sorry. They, they, they would come fully formed, wouldn't they? They would come fully formed yes. and fully perfect. And, uh, well, and they would uh, develop and themselves because they're intrinsically yeah. motivated. So, yeah, it would be perfect. That's not going to happen, is it? No. So, so. Over the time that you've been involved in, in this sector, and, and certainly, as you say, with an emphasis on talent acquisition, have you mm -hmm. seen much, what, what have been the sort of main trends, the main changes in terms of approach that you've seen over that time, Tim? 
Oh dear, uh, if I look back uh, to the beginning of my career, um, we even didn't have mobile phones and everything was in paper. So yes. that's, a, that's a massive change. Uh, but still, you have to think about uh, there are also pockets uh, in talent markets where still paper is, is the uh, medium of, of choice because people don't have mobile phones, for example, or right. are not really online or don't have email addresses. But um, I think the digitalization, and not only the digitalization is about people, it's about technology, but uh, let's say the technology part of that is really obvious. So uh, everything mm -hmm. now is linked, it's social media, you, uh, well, theoretically you can do a one-click application, um, mm. still in reality it is, uh, if you try that, and I try out um, our own systems and other, pe uh, other uh, competitor systems, um, if you hit one-click application on LinkedIn, usually you, your LinkedIn profile is uploaded totally wrong, and then you have to spend uh, an hour um, fixing that uh, and sending your application. So in theory, we saw a lot of digitalization. Um, I think also the role of um, talent acquisition sh uh, shifted a little bit, depending on the organization. Um, mm -hmm. in, the, uh, in the past, it was more like a gatekeeper. Nowadays, it's more like a sales function. Um, and also the role of the hiring manager changed. Most organizations really understood that the most important um, and on the um, on the side of HR, the most um, complaining customer, I have to say, um, mm -hmm. is the hiring manager. Uh, but also in mo almost all processes, the hiring manager is the bottleneck because he's not available for interviews. Um, he might not uh, uh, give timely feedback and um, still they are the ones who have the need. Um, mm. But I think that's a, that's a big change as well. Right, and right. Um, looking into the future, um, I think it's, it's a lot of AI, which we see, even though you uh, mm. still don't know exactly what it means. Uh, but you have mm. a lot of bots and, and uh, you have selection um, tools, which select people by criteria which they develop by machine learning so you don't really know why they are selected but still they are successful in their job so i think these are trends which you see already in part mm -hmm. and which will be the future mm -hmm. interesting yeah absolutely okay um and do you see i mean in in the sort of the, the broader sense and i think you you're currently based in germany aren't you um, yeah, but you've yeah. worked you've worked in the uk um and uh, and, and other markets do you do you see cultural differences um, or have you seen cultural differences from the various countries that you've worked in? Oh, um, I would be lying if I would say no. It just depends. There are so many cultural differences that you really need to narrow it down if you want to talk about candidates or maybe the agency company relationship. Um, it's really, maybe we talk about what's similar. Um, right. Oh, okay. Because it's easier. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think when it comes to candidates, um, what I see all over the place is um, specifically in Europe, for example, uh, young graduates, they become more and more less cultural different uh, when it comes to recruiting. Uh, when I remember my time at Deutsche Bank, when we uh, had a global um, recruitment program uh, for graduates and we put them all together in one class. Mm -hmm. um, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't mean offensive in any way, but uh, because of the, at that point in time, longer um, duration of studies and, and the different uh, degrees we had in Germany, German students um, who came into the program were kind of maturer than, for example, British students because they were younger, they were differently educated. Um, yes. So it was really difficult uh, sometimes to... Um, to get uh, to get them on the same level, but also uh, to um, provide them with information which they all of them feel relevant, because uh, mm. again, it's the majority level is different. So that is something which now is um, changed. So yes. specifically with the Bologna process and the, the harmonization of the European educational system, I think um, they, uh, this became more and more um, similar. 
Right. So it's one one thing which I see, and also uh, I think most labor markets. Um, and okay, there are some countries which are economically not that well off, but still in most countries, um, if you look into talent which is in high demand, like like technology, um, but also some others, um, it's the same for them that they have a certain um, uh, view on the employer and are very critical and and also very demanding. I have to say, not in a bad sense, uh, they can mm. afford it obviously. Um, mm. But it's totally different than when, when, for example, 25 or is it now 13 years ago, when I started my career, it was a totally different world in terms of the relation between a potential employer and a potential employee. It was always an employer market that totally changed. Right, right. So how does, let's, let's come to the sort of the meat of this. You talk about wanting a unique and frictionless employee experience. How do mm. you try and go about that in order to be the employer that that limited talent pool chooses to, uh, yeah. to join. What, what's, what's the secret, Tim? Uh, <laughs> well, I can't share my secret, so uh, that would be expensive for you. But uh, no, but <laughs> let's start with, um, so, so I asked my, my, uh, my own question, but let's start with defining what experience means at all, because um, it's something which not many organizations have looked at. Um, currently, mm -hmm. you'll find um, there are people who are working, let's say, in candidate experience. Usually they're, they're located in the employer branding department uh, or mm -hmm. the recruiting department. There might be people who, uh, and not many companies do have that, who are focusing on employee experience. Usually it's called engagement, um, yes. which I really don't like because engagement, uh, I could have called the function um acquisition and engagement, but um, engagement is something which is intrinsically. So uh, you become engaged because Let's say of reasons we can discuss it later. Um, mm -hmm. So I can't I can't be responsible for you being engaged. What I can do is I can create an experience which helps you um, being engaged or coming to work um, um, with a happy face and not only for the money. Um, so that is the difference between um, experience and engagement. And experience uh, for me also, and I follow the um, book. I'm not sure. Maybe you can provide the link later. Uh, Jacob Morgan did a great. Uh, some great research with blue chip companies uh, called the employee experience advantage and he found um, let's say three clusters um, a technical cluster a, a physical cluster and a cultural cluster um, which companies are focusing on and where they are successful and they create experiences um, and that uh, is actually something which um, and when we go to frictionless um, has to be applied to well, candidate experience on the external side and employee experience on the internal side, because what quite often happens specifically because um, those two are um, separated, companies um, create a great candidate experience and also a great employer brand, but it's not really um, linked to what's happening inside. So right. it's a typical it's sales day, you sell something, you're happy that the candidate gets in and on the first day or even before the first day, the candidate looks like hmm, no one's talking to me, um, it's totally different than what I was promised. and um, that is something which we try uh, to, to um, avoid by creating this experience function and having all of these in one hand and, um, well, have a look on, uh, on that on these three pillars. Hmm. What was the name of the book, Tim? The Employee oh, Experience um, Advantage. Jacob Morgan, um, The Employee Jacob Experience Morgan. Advantage. And I'm not paid for that. So <laughs> <laughs> if you want to buy it, feel free. <laughs> okay. Now, it's an interesting debate, this whole terminology thing is it experience is it engagement are they mutually connected does one feed the other which one comes first you know I think um I think it's you know it's absolutely essential that you create an experience that is consistent 
foreign people, railroad employees. Yeah, but what's important for me there, and I can put it in some more maybe plain German because I'm sometimes challenged about, yeah, but you're doing engagement. Um, if I have this mindset that I'm creating engagement, uh, honestly, it's more like I'm a clown or what, what is in startups now called a well-being manager or something like that. I'm not there to entertain people. Um, no. I'm there to, to help them get a great experience in terms of feeling inclusive, um, having a great work environment where they can uh, easily um, do their job, um, mm. have a flexibility for their family and their lives and, and these kind of things. But I'm not engaging people. Like, mm. Maybe right. the manager can do something of that, but uh, still it's intrinsically. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Um, so so how do you um, how do you then take that forward that you are you are creating um, a, you know, what, what do you mean by frictionless, really, Tim? Well, frictionless, uh, I think I, we never get that, but the biggest bump, sorry <laughs> to say that, <laughs> is uh, between the candidate experience. It, it, it's two things. One is you create a great candidate experience in the recruiting process and, and um, you build these kind of things, and then um, the candidate runs into a hiring manager. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, it, it, I, I don't want to blame hiring manager for everything, but um, it's, it's a personal thing. And these uh, sometimes they don't have much time, and they're very quick. And, and um, I even had cases. Uh, I don't mention the company, but where a hiring manager, if he didn't like the candidate, he just uh, got up after ten minutes and told his secretary to uh, get the candidate out. Something like that. So um, that's obviously not frictionless. Um, and then the second piece is. Um, and that's also, we might talk about that later, is that I put that into an organizational level in the HR department, that you, um, even if the candidate has a good experience there, then the onboarding comes. And in the onboarding, a lot of companies, you just, great, you sign the contract, great, you start in three months, no one cares about you. And then you mm. come there on your first day, you don't have a laptop, um, your phone isn't working, blah, 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 your hiring manager is on vacation. Um, so that's again, um, not frictionless. Mm. And uh, once you're in there and, and, and after you joined, uh, you might discover that um, all these great things which have been promised to you or even when you have been put into a great uh, new joiner program or something, after you've done that, no one cares about you anymore. And then you're sitting there and no one cares about your development and um, no one cares about how you're doing. Um, so that's, again, not frictionless. And in the end, when you separate and um, you, uh, let's say you hand in notice or you retire or whatever, um, then again, no one cares about you. And then uh, even though you feel connected to the company, and you would even like to stay in touch, but again, it's not frictionless. So then actually, mm-hmm. how I would define frictionless, getting all these, let's uh, call it bumps, out of, out of the yes. flow of the uh, employee life cycle. Yeah, so smooth away the bumps. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's interesting, actually. I was, um, yep. Sorry, go on. You, you no, were saying, no, but yeah. you have to do that by um, actually really focusing on these three well you can do it differently but uh, i'm focusing at least on, on these three pillars because it gives you a different perspective on everything if you have uh, people who are um, focusing on culture if you have uh, some people who are focusing on technology and some on physical and you do that for every step and every project you, you run uh, it mm-hmm. gives you really a, a good lever and a good perspective uh, which is different than from just oh i'm creating now let's say a new employee well-being program or something like that mm-hmm. um, so that really helps and that's something where you, when you think about your organization, your own organization, your organization, uh, where you also have to um, reshape your your uh, department in a certain way. Right. So, so if you're if you're saying that by focusing on those three pillars, um, you can help to create, or you can create, smooth away those bumps and create a an experience that that is frictionless and smooth and, and unique. 
whose responsibility is that? Where where does that where can that begin, Tim, in terms of the organisation? Who who should be driving that? Um, well, in a perfect world, it would be the top management, and they would be top down driving mm -hmm. those things. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, no matter what, um, you have to get the business uh, buy-in because again, um, I'm not. Well, let's say the recruiting organization, they certainly have touch points, but um, it's more like, like we are providing in the background um, tools and then services and information um, for uh, all of the organizations um, to really create these experiences because the daily experience of an employee is not with the recruiting department or HR. You no. see a touch point with HR if there's a problem or there's a development um, or there's a problem with your hiring manager because he should be your first point of contact. Um, and that's, um, that's something where, uh, so I'm not responsible personally to, I have to be a role model certainly, but um, I'm not working with all the employees on, on creating their experience. That doesn't mm. work. So you really need to get the organization behind you, the commercial side of the business. And um, that is actually the trick uh, or where I see a lot of challenges because all the topics I talked about now, they're usually seen as cost centers. And when you're coming from a cost center, well, talk to the commercial side of the business, <laughs> try to get yes. some budget or to change things, it never works. So you yes. need to find a different way to approach that. And how do, how do you then, how do you, how do you position that in a, in a way that is seen as a, not well, by, a cost, but by, a value, add, an adding value? Well, two things. So first of all, um, in my experience, a lot of people move into HR because they want to work with people. And, mm -hmm. um, and I'm quite careful about that because if you want to work with people, you can also go into IT because if you work on an IT project, you work with tons of different people on a very regular basis. Um, and my experience is that a lot of, um, well, I should bash my colleagues, but a lot, let's say a lot of HR folks are um, hiding in their function as specialists. So they're specialists for learning and development, for coaching, for psychology, but they don't really want to understand, uh, for example, the revenue drivers of the business. And that is where, uh, even though they're complaining about getting a seat at the table or being a, a, a trusted business partner, uh, where mm -hmm. they again, there's obviously a friction. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you can't speak um, the language of the business and you can't also talk in, in numbers, which the business understands, um, you will never be, um, a partner which is on let's say eye level because you can are always there just to say well i'm here to help you so what can i do for you and then you get tons of problems from the business side which you need to solve and uh, that always uh, only puts you into reactive mode and you will mm. never solve all the problems yes so uh long story short, <laughs> short <laughs> the two things which are, which are important i think is first of all really speaking the language of the business so i give you uh, one example when we measure um, candidate um, experience or even employee experience, um, uh, partly we use, um, for example, spot surveys. And then with the spot surveys, we use um, not some kind of number like 50% of the candidates are happy or unhappy, but we use something which we which you also use in the commercial business or even in B2B, we use the net promoter score. And uh -huh. the net promoter score, we just call it candidate promoter score or employee promoter score, but it's something which uh, every uh, person in the business knows. Mm -hmm. um, so we can speak the language and they will immediately see, for example, they can immediately connect the numbers to something they, they know. Um, yes. So it's, uh, one thing which uh, is important, really understanding and trying to speak the language of the business or transforming it into um, your HR lingo, into, into business language. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second one is really um, moving away from this cost center thought. 
So you can really try, and it's possible to calculate. Um, well, you can also calculate cost savings, obviously. But it's more important to really talk about, um, for example, um, safety incidents or new business generation. So what kind of impact, uh, for example, has a great employee experience? And there are tons of uh, tons of data out there about um, companies who have a great employee experience versus companies who have an average one. For example, in terms of their um, stock performance, in terms of their um, uh, yeah, new business generation, customer happiness, for example, is also part of mm -hmm. that. And you can mm -hmm. use those benchmarks and just put you in your business numbers and you get huge amounts. So uh, again, I don't mention the company, but when I wanted to have some new budget for a certain project in terms of, um, it was actually a talent acquisition project, but um, I just calculated um, the turnovers and then the cost of a new hire uh, with the average salary of, of that company. Um, mm. And just for one year, I got um, the number of, well, let's say, I think it was 50 million or something. And you know how HR budgets are. So if I would only get 5% uh, of that for a certain project, I would already be happy. And uh, yes. if you really, well, I don't promise that I uh, deliver these numbers. Like marketing also doesn't promise if, if you do this kind of advertising, suddenly uh, it rains sales or something. So, yes. um, but it's something where you, which you can really use um, to, to show what the business impact of HR and talent acquisition is. Yes. So it's it's about making sure you make your argument using the appropriate KPIs and business measures that are relevant to the organization in which you work. Yes, uh, but not uh, I certainly measure the typical HR KPIs and acquisition KPIs, but I try to translate them into KPIs or numbers, which the commercial side of the business use. Right. So it, it doesn't it's OK to say, let's say. Our time to hire is um, 90 days or something, or we have like uh, 150 open positions in project management or something. But mm -hmm. you have to think about how can you transform that and calculate that into a number um, which uh, is relevant for the business. Because if you say, well, we have 150 open positions, then the business would only say, well, yeah, then close the positions and be more, well, do more. <laughs> and yeah. that's pretty much it. Why, when you can say, okay, we're losing, for example, like um, 50 million of new business generation, or we can't stop certain projects uh, with our uh, customers, uh, mm -hmm. which are worth uh, 30 million, that's a totally different kind of approach. And then you get a totally different um, attention from the commercial side. Right, right. Okay, now that makes sense. That makes sense. Can can I just move on to, an, to ask you another question, Tim, which is, um, it comes back to a point you made at the at the beginning of the show. You talked about hiring managers mm -hmm. and how sometimes they can be the obstacle or the block. And, and, and not wishing to sort of focus too much on that, but it made me made me think about the fact that at the moment, in many sectors, we are in a a world where there is a shortage of of high quality talents, you know, particular skills, mm -hmm. um, and there is mm -hmm. a big demand. And um, actually, the recruitment process or the talent acquisition process is quite lengthy and organizations okay. are finding that they, they 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 start the process with the kind of talent they want but they're losing that great talent because as a big organization they're not able to be nimble and fast enough to secure them okay. you know they, um, and I just wonder from your what's your experience of that are you are you seeing uh, a realization that actually we need to get quicker if we're going to snap up, you know, if we're going to really secure the best people for our businesses, we need to find a way to be faster at making offers to them. Oh, absolutely. I think speed is one of the most crucial factors currently. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think that um, 
that is also understood uh, by the uh, hiring manager side. Uh, the issue there is because we said, for example, that uh, where we are a large organization, so we can't be um, that, that uh, quick or flexible. I think that's just an excuse. And the, the, the issue there is um, there are organizations where, well, hiring managers understood that speed is crucial and those organizations acted and reacted and changed their recruiting process to a very slim one or really put in KPIs or even, let's say, um, hiring managers are really measured um, by how quick they are in terms of uh, their reaction and then their decision processes. And there are some of their bonus put behind that. So again, they, they lose money if they, uh, so personal money if they don't uh -huh. um, react that fast. But on the um, other side, there are also organizations where the hiring manager understood that speed is very crucial, but the positioning of HR is still um, the, uh, the one which I just mentioned that they would say, well, get me more candidates, be quicker, be more creative. Uh, you didn't get me the right candidates, so um, I, that's why the process is so long. And it's um, all the work and, and blame, uh, say, is put on, on the talent acquisition function. And right. I think that's a matter of mindset because they didn't understand that they are the most crucial factor. And again, mm. you can show that by uh, by numbers. If you're measuring the recruiting funnel and you see that, for example, if you're losing candidates after the interview or um, that you see uh, how the timelines are, um, that, mm. uh, for example, when REC is opened and it takes you 10 days to deliver the first shortage of candidates, but then it takes 20 days until uh, you get a, a feedback and the invitation for, for an interview. And then it takes again, let's say 15 days until um, the candidate gets the next feedback. Um, that is something uh, where you can really, um, well, at least show how it is. And mm -hmm. uh, I would, uh, where I made good experience is, um, it's a very, uh, let's say, lean uh, gamification, but it's kind of gamification because if you make it kind of transparent um, to hiring managers, um, that they are, for example, the ones uh, that are uh, well, at the bottom of, of the list in terms of speed or reaction time, or um, that you that they that you show them examples of people who are really successful. So when they sit there and they complain about uh, the recruiting process and um, approach you, then you can just return to them and say, well, listen, um, you know, this guy, um, he's really, really much better. Would you like to know how he did it? Uh, mm. And then you can get into this kind of conversation. But it's, um, yeah. yeah, I didn't know, it, don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And it's interesting. I mean, everything you've talked about um, over the last sort of 20, 25 minutes or so, has uh, if, uh, the, what you're talking about almost with all of these things is the need to, measure and and look at the numbers and look at what this information is telling you and think about how you use that to persuade people in a commercial environment why the best practice that you're talking about actually matters and actually will make a difference and actually will drive through to the wider business success um it's uh it seems to me that's the sort of common thread that's tying all of this together um we've got a couple of minutes only a couple of minutes left Tim yeah. I wonder I just ask you I noticed that you are involved in you were a founding member of um Queb uh, which is an organization that that I'd not come across obviously because I'm, I'm very much UK based but uh, is a is a German association for quality yeah. employer branding can you just finish off by just in the last couple of minutes just telling us a little bit about that what what you what you set out to do and um, and how you mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, it's, um, I try to make the story short. So Crep is uh, in different names, like twenty years, almost twenty years old now. So and uh, actually, I'm I'm a founding member yes because 
when I worked in the financial industry and I was responsible for technology at that point in time, I realized I don't have any clue about um, how IT recruiting and employer branding works. So what I did is I invited some peers from different organizations, so from uh, what we would call nowadays startups, from blue chip companies, and had a round table discussion with them about um, uh, well, what we can do together, how we perceive, because the financial industry wasn't known as a technology employer. And mm -hmm. from that, over the course of time, really developed these um, this association and, and um, the CREPS or the Quality Employer Branding Association um, now has uh, some 60 um, corporate members, uh, most German blue chips, but also some mid-sized companies um, and then some smaller companies who have really interesting employer branding um, mm. initiatives. And uh, it, it's, it's a network of professionals who like to share their experiences and also like to have a safe space. Because I shouldn't say that publicly, but when we are on our own all together, we share also hmm, kind of confidential data sometimes. So, for example, if you don't have any clue what, for example, a proper ratio is of recruiter to open positions or what kind of budgets you would spend on certain things, um, that is something which really helps you. Um, of course, and there's yeah. a huge level of trust. Um, unfortunately, for now, um, the CREP is still very much focused on the German-speaking countries, but I'm trying to push them a little bit abroad. So if anyone listening is interested in getting a connection, I'm happy to, um, to, to have a conversation. Oh, it's interesting, isn't it, how how often the opportunity, we, we, we our default response is often that we are, organizations are, are in a competitive world and we have to keep things, keep, you know, keep these things secret and we mustn't talk to other people. But actually, there's a huge demand for um, sharing challenges and helping each other and supporting each other yeah. and uh, and doing it in a way that isn't 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 challenging of any kind of confidentialities but is nonetheless mutually supportive and i i think you know that it, if, if one thing te technology has helped us enormously but at the end of the day we are still human beings aren't we and we we do like to just get together with other like-minded people and uh, no and, and, and when we get out on campus or in any other talent market we are competitors um, but yeah. still we can learn from each other and this is basis this mutual um let's say professional trust we got because yes. uh, we know that we're all competing, but uh, also we're all suffering the same problems. And then so there are also some great initiatives coming out of this script. So there are corporations uh, working together uh, in terms of finding talent ma uh, for markets which they are usually not um, into. So, for example, an automotive company would work together uh, with a with the let's say cosmetics company mm -hmm. to create an event, and they share the, the talent. So the, the cosmetic companies get the well, male talent, while the others get the female talent because their branding didn't uh, uh, match or let's say uh, yeah. complementary. So these kinds of things, and then also um, we now have huge um, one huge conference which we support, and then we have initiatives where we um, also support HR startups, um, so mm -hmm. who have really fresh and new ideas. Um, so there's plenty of, of stuff you can do together uh, without harming each other, or with let's say uh, even though we're competitors, uh, one and one is three and not two. So. Absolutely. No, I'm a firm believer in all of that. And that's very much obviously what we what we try and do with Engage for Success as well. So so lovely. Tim, we've run out of time. Um it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts with us. It's been it's been really interesting. Um and uh, thank you everybody for listening and uh, I'll I'll say goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye bye now. Right, thank you very much and uh, pardon my accent. <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.